Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming, presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, meet your Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health. <laughs> the laugh got me. The laugh got me. <laughs> As they talk about mental health and how gaming affects us. If you have any uh, questions uh, with, and you're live here in the chat with us, you can leave them in the chat with question colon before it. And our awesome mod, Martin, will grab them and put them into a doc that I will read them off later in the show. Uh, but before we get to that, who are you two for the fine folks who may not know? Oh, oh, we're muted. We're muted. Hang on. I know why. Uh, in silence. Wait. I, I literally have to change wires around. <laughs> and then we're going to go over here. And we're going to. Where'd you go? Stop the thing. This is great for audio listeners. You're going to love this because you can't see anything. Um, God, stop going away. <laughs> Which one is it? No, it's not that one. Oh, well, this might be a bigger problem. Hang on. Bear with us real quick. Sorry. Um, because but there was a day off yesterday. And apparently that threw everything off for me, you know, because that's what happens. Um, there totally wasn't a problem with the... Uh... <laughs> Thank you for the Miami Dr. B. There totally wasn't a problem with the code that I messed up uh, before this. Okay, try talking now. I fell! <laughs> I think the first thing they heard was I fell. But he's getting I up. I fell! <laughs> that was very dramatic. A good start. <laughs> oh, apologies, everyone. Yes. Uh, oh, look, it was a not long a hair weekend. out of place. And, uh, <laughs> it's been a long day already, so apologies. <laughs> Uh, you okay there, Dr. B? Psychomancer down. Psychomancer down. <laughs> okay, Mitra, if you could start at the top again of who again. you are. No. <laughs> I don't want to. Um, okay, so I'm Mitra Jordan, a therapist in private practice in Victoria, BC. Going to use my hands a lot, apparently, today. Um, and I see uh, individuals, couples, and youth in my practice. And I do see a number of people who have, were parentified as children, so. There we go. Yeah, did did my bit. <laughs> Hi, 
I'm Rafael Bocamazzo. In my spare time, I'm a budget Willy Wonka impersonator. It's true. He does his own stunts, like falling out of computer chairs. It's also true. I thought Willy was a little bit more graceful, but what can I tell you? I don't know. I don't know. I just oompa loompa doopity dropped. I I want candy now. I'm going to be like the one who, what's her name? I think it was, she like swells up like the baby. Oh, Violet. Or Violet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Violet, Violet. you're turning Violet, Violet. Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet. (laughs) No, hi, I'm I'm Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. I'm a clinical psychologist in Washington State. I am the clinical director at... Uh, TakeThis.org, which was at the time in 2012, the first mental health nonprofit to serve the gaming community. And uh, if you head on over and make sure to follow us, uh, today is the last day to nominate your favorite video game that came out in 2020 and 2021 for the Dr. Mark Award for Mental Health Representation in Games. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm here to also talk about uh, parentified children and apparently fall down. We all have yes. our skills. We do. I, I, me and gravity... They like to be real close. Oh yeah! Oh. But he, he's got a motto. He, he gets knocked down, but he gets up. He, he gets up again. Oh, never yeah. going to keep him down. Never going to keep me down. Never going to keep him down. Never no. going to let him down. <laughs> <laughs> did we just get Rick rolled? <laughs> we did. Did Mr. Rick rolled? I'm gonna turn into being Rick rolled. <laughs> wow! This is gonna, this is gonna We're gonna give one. you up. <laughs> We're gonna be a good one today. So absolutely, um, (laughs) we're laughing through our traumas. That's the one. (laughs) That's them traumas that we're laughing through. So okay, let let let's let's uh, wind things back here. Parentified children. What what does that mean? What what is the definition of a parentified child? Um, I you know, Mitra, I really do want to kick this one over for you. This is this is really your area of expertise, much more than or much more than mine. Okay, I love how you threw this right in my lap, but that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I can do um, it. No, 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 that's fair. So, uh, a parentified child is a child who was expected to take on responsibilities, uh, emotional and perhaps also in terms of tasks that would normally have been assigned to a parent. Um, and within the culture in which the child lived, those responsibilities were still considered a parent's job. In other words, If we were to go back in time to farmhands of the 1930s, say, uh, a 13-year-old might be expected to run a farm, but now that wouldn't be the case. So it's the expectations based on the culture that are out of line, as in this was a parent's job and you now had to do it. Further to that, a parentified child is one for whom a parent isn't holding the appropriate emotional space, but rather the expectation is that they can be related to or treated as an adult in terms of um, perhaps emotional content um, that is presented to them. So should I bring this to life by mentioning what we talked about next? Do we have any examples? Do we want to get into that? I mean, I'm... Do we have examples? I'm thinking thinking of literature, like how many in TV and movies how many the the stuff that comes to to mind for me is like royalty and we have stories of child kings that Mm -hmm. or queens who ascend to the throne way too early way way too early and become pawns in uh, now now i'm thinking of richard the third never mind it the okay (laughs) i'm going shakespeare 
<laughs> well, you know, he's he's a great source for so much. But uh, but let's let's kind of bring it to a a very uh, a level at which people can really kind of connect with it. How about we do we start there? Um, so, for example, if um, if two parents are going through a uh, a divorce and children are given too much information, um, because there's the information around, hey, mommy and daddy love you, but we're not going to be together anymore. We've got this, and and here's the plan. You know, you'll be with mom on these days. You'll be with dad on, uh, you know, and and they're quite aligned in how they handle this. That is very different than. Um, Daddy doesn't love us anymore and he's leaving us, right? Or daddy doesn't love us and you're now expected to be the man of the house. Boy, you're just going for it. Hey, gang, I, this is going to be an uplifting episode. You're just right? we're going for the throat or right away. There is too much information around um, challenges that parents are going through, whether it's financial or emotional, um, and the kid ends up becoming or held responsible for too much. So it's one thing if you have a single parent who's like, okay, listen, you got to get home and I need you to put the potatoes on for supper. And I need you to just make sure your brother gets a snack. And then we'll take you to your soccer game after. That is not parentification. There's room that's being held for what a child wants to do, a child's needs and a child's emotional needs. You know, sweetie, I know you've had a hard day. Let's, can you just help me chop the potatoes and we'll talk about what's going on for you is fine, especially if you have a single parent who's trying to kind of keep things afloat. But it's not fine if it's like, ah, come here and help me chop the potatoes. I need to tell you about what happened with my boss today. Yeah, that's that's a that's a common um, in the limited work I've done with folks around this. That's been a common uh, thread of being a parental confidant. Exactly. Uh, being uh, the friend of the parent in a way that would be typically reserved for an adult, because that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about having a child perform uh, duties that within the context of a given culture are reserved for adults. Right. I don't need to know that one of my parents is, is having an affair at work, right? That's not appropriate information for a child. Not, 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 in, not probably not in the U.S. And I don't Canada, think anywhere. It's, yeah. it's, it's I, really I'm struggling not to find okay. it, think of an example either, but yeah. I don't know. Exactly. So, God. and yet it happens, oh. right? Yeah. Or, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of examples. Um, a context in which parentification can happen is say you have a disabled sibling. Often families where a sibling is quite disabled or for whatever reason just takes up a lot of resource to manage, um, children who are able, or at least certainly more able in that context, right, often find it hard to ask for their needs to be met because there might be a crisis here or a crisis there. Um, and you don't end up feeling like there's enough space for you. Um, also, if there's a parent who's highly traumatized um, or a parent who's quite sick, you know, sometimes we're in a situation where a parent is terminal. Um, so the able parent who's taking care of their spouse might be asking a lot of their children. This is a situation where you 
absolutely need, if you can, um, community support so that your kids can still do some kid things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a really tough context, um, but it's another one where parentification can happen or things can be managed so that the parentification is kept to a minimum and there's support for those children who are also losing a parent. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about like children as confidants to parents in an appropriate way, not the friends of parents. And, you know, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think we're going to really talk to, at least most of us are going to talk to an eight-year-old or nine-year-old the same way we would talk to yeah. our adult friends. Um, but you're also talking about children as caregivers for yep. their parents as well, yep. for flip-flopping those roles. Absolutely. Or caregivers for a sibling. Yeah. Um, you know, so my, my, you know, we can get into quickly my, my grandmother's situation. Um, parents fled a genocide um, that was happening in what is now Northern Iran for them. It was the Assyrian genocide. My grandmother was tiny. Um, I actually am not sure uh, if she was tiny or actually born once they arrived in Nikopol in, in Ukraine, which is where she grew up. Uh, stones throw from Odessa, if people are wondering geographically where it might be. Um, somewhere near Odessa anyway. See, I'm hazy on these details. In any case, um, she was a single child for the first five years. And then in fairly quick succession, there were another four siblings born. And so she was the eldest of five. Um, and tragically, her mother died when the youngest was around a year-ish, I think. And so she got pulled out of school at around the age of 12-ish. You know, people are quite hazy on dates back then. Um, but she was around the age of 10, 12, 13-ish. And her father was like, well, that's enough education. Your responsibility is now taking care of your siblings while I work. And so she ended up raising her four siblings um, and running the household. And it was a real fight eventually once they moved back to Iran, it was a real fight for her to um, do, a tr do her training as a nurse because her father just did not, you know, see this as her, as her job. So yeah, that was a yeah. tough experience for her growing up for sure. Well, one of the, you know, we, we're talking about parentification as a result of, of trauma, in this case, you know, genocide and, yeah. you know, refugee status and relocation and death. Um, we've talked about parentification uh, from the results of ongoing health issues and uh, potentially from systemic issues like uh, like financial difficulties and the need for for everybody to be participating in the financial stru structure of the family, but there's something else that we don't always think about. And this is it's a weird thing for me to because this has been more the context of which I did it. Because um, when I've had a private practice in the past, a lot of the folks I served were tech families in very mm. wealthy areas of the of the, of the Seattle area. And where I often saw it was in narcissistic projection of uh, perfect, you know, perfectionism of the kid as an extension of the, of the parents. Um, yeah. And with, in that case, you, you know, we, I, what I often saw was 
kids who could not mess up kids who couldn't be kids because it would reflect poorly on the parents like we don't we don't do that sort of behavior now because we're no longer in kindergarten we're in first grade and first graders don't act like and here i am going first graders act exactly like that that is exactly how six-year-olds are supposed to act they mess up but um they're this was an avenue of parentification that um, I didn't I, I didn't expect, and I certainly wasn't wasn't taught about in grad school. Um, you know, typically it was around you know disadvantage and tragedy, but it happens here too. Absolutely, and I've worked with clients who who've dealt with that as well. Um, yeah, and there's a real misunderstanding in terms of developmental process when you have those kinds of expectations of your child. But narcissistic project projection is a big one, where you just have this idea that your child has to reflect well on you because they're an extension of you somehow. Essentially being and so you. If they, yeah, they're a sort of mini you projected out. And therefore, if they do the wrong thing, it looks bad on you. you know? And it also comes up in the kind of, can't you control your child? sort of narrative, right? Where somehow there's this expectation that your child be perfect or be well-controlled. And of course, this is preventing your child from being a child, from getting to experience play, getting to experience being goofy. And often, you know, it means that that child doesn't necessarily have enough contact with other children. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is, it's funny. We bring up, and I just saw this in the chat, the act your age thing. And mm -hmm. I, I looking, it, looking back at some of the, some of the, the teachers that I had, it was, a, it was a similar narrative uh, in my childhood. I went to a very repressed Catholic school growing up and there was a lot of this expectation of you should basically be little adults. And I'm like, uh, looking back in retrospect, I'm like, no, no, that's not how that works. That's not how that works at all. God, yeah. no wonder I needed therapy. Holy crap. There, there were so many typical childhood experiences that I didn't get to have because of various uh, elements of, uh, of this idea that don't act childish. Well, I'm a child. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the other piece that comes into play there is it sort of prevents individuation. Like if I'm trying so hard to be like a mini adult and I'm that connected to my parent in terms of how my behavior is supposed to be, where do I get to discover myself? You know, so where do I get to start making choices? Mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm told what to do to that degree. So okay. what does this do to us? Yeah, that was, that was uh, exactly what I was going, going to ask. That's so, what exactly on. what I was No, no, hold on. Move your mouth. I'll do that again. So what does this do to us? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> hold on. No, it. wait. No, do it again. Do it again. Hold on. So what does this do to us? <laughs> I did it I without my hold it. I could hold that one. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> what, like, what exactly does this, this, this do to us? Because I... I, I do have I have permission to uh, to to, tell, to talk about this. Like my wife does relate to this um, when I told her that well, this was going to be the topic. Um, essentially, like you know, I don't know the the full story of like how, but she was. You, you were talking about the financial thing of it. She found out the finances when she was younger, and so she started making her own decisions about what they could and couldn't afford for her. 
So yeah. she would say no to something she wanted to do because she was worried about the finances when she was a child and shouldn't be having to worry about that. Um, and that has carried over into adulthood for her where she is still worried about this, but because she kept it in as a child is still keeping it in. And, and we, you know, I, I have to remind her, I'm just like, Hey, we can have a conversation about this. Like, you know, we, we can, we can talk about this and figure out how all of that, how we can make that work. Um, so what, what is, is, is what does it do generally, uh, to, to, to folks? Well, it means that first of all, they might not have a good sense of what the boundaries are and whose responsibility certain tasks actually are. So often with, with my clients who've experienced parentification, if the parentification has been, um, if they've been invited in to their parents' internal worlds too much, they start to feel responsible for those internal worlds. And often when I'm talking to younger clients who are struggling with this, I might say, you know what, it's okay to know about like that but that doesn't mean you have to take care of it. And really helping them understand that recognizing something your parents are going through doesn't mean that your parents get to abstain or abdicate their role as parents. You still have needs and you still have a right to have those needs met. And in fact, you shouldn't really have to have a conversation with your parents about that because they should be looking out for your needs, but you know that will often happen. So it'll be like, yeah, that's okay, but it's still their job. And I'm often, I often find myself reminding my younger clients that it's their job or adults who've been through this, that, yeah, that was your, that was your parents' job. I'm sorry that didn't, you know, what happened instead, tell me, you know, because it's not, it's, it's this piece around responsibility gets to be a real problem if you you're talking about um what your wife experienced trevor so yeah she made some internal decisions about who was responsible and what she would ask so as not to put pressure on a situation but she was coming from a child place and so it's really hard to know what you should or shouldn't ask you know and this is similar to families where one child is disabled you know the abled children will often not ask for their needs to be met. And they're not clear as children aren't on what their needs are anyway. So it's really difficult for people coming from these kinds of backgrounds to know how to make space and to ask for their needs to be met because that's not a thing that happened. How do I know what my needs get to be when I haven't had the experience of having them met? So as an adult, you end up taking on far too much in terms of often emotional responsibility for your partners and even for your kids. Of course, you're emotionally responsible for your kids, but it's important to developmentally know when they can start to make more decisions for themselves. And it can be very difficult for an adult who was parentified I was going to say parentificated. <laughs> that works too. Um, for a parentificated adult children. to know how to kind of balance out when is my child old enough to do certain things and when is it my responsibility. So it works both ways. Well, and I mean, you bring up, you bring up, so one of the things that we've talked about in the past on this show is power differentials. 
and with this idea that there are different kinds of social dynamics and power differentials that work in different contexts. Um, the, you know, if you're at work, your boss holds certain power. If you are in a social situation, certain people in your group hold social power that, you know, people want to follow and so forth. And um, when it's in a family dynamic, typically speaking, you know, parents have a lot of power. And it's hard to argue with that as a child, because you're not supposed to, you know, when you're six years old, tell mom and dad, um, no, I'm, I will not make financial decisions for you parents. I mean, not if you even have the language to say it like that, but so a lot of times, you know, becomes a learned behavior that later in life, you self-sacrifice to an unhealthy degree. Absolutely. Um, uh, saying no is not, it's, it's weird to think about, but saying no is something we have to learn. Standing yeah. up for ourselves is something we have to learn. Good boundaries like that is something we have to learn. And, you know, a lot of parentified children, by the time they get to be adults, they self-sacrifice to a really unhealthy degree. Yeah. And it's really hard for them to, to know what those boundaries are because those boundaries were never held for them. So often in relationship, they'll take on too much and ask for too little back. And then that has a cost, of course. You know, we can't be martyrs. So the cost can be resentment, anger. Says, says you, I was raised up. Catholic. <laughs> We've got a whole thing about them. Um, well, uh, to, uh, real quick, let's take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, and then uh, we'll we'll talk about more about what this can do uh, to uh, to us when that happens. So we'll be right back. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Uh, we are back. Uh, as you can see, the other hosts were having a uh, a tea break. Uh, <laughs> you heathen! This is espresso. Oh, I'm of course sorry. This is espresso. This is Earl Grey tea, and I will have you know, I like a good large. This is of Earl empty, Grey and I'm tea. sad. <laughs> <laughs> this is a distressing topic. Yeah. <laughs> you needed your comfort tiara and your I comfort espresso. My comfort tiara. And apparently I'm Julia Child now. I don't know why. There's, there's half a stick of butter in this small cup. Today on Champions of Psychology. Deglaze with a generous amount of red wine. Yep. Mm. Sorry, couldn't That's Champion Psychology, taking a break from the trauma to have a few laughs. <laughs> uh, we laugh so we don't cry. Yes. 
Uh, oh, I like that. Chatter Chat's empathy. <laughs> I love that. That's I love so that. good. That's fantastic. Yes, T.L. Grey Hot Picard is definitely a hero in that way. And I wish it were that easy. Um, Pebble and Reacher, save the chicken. <laughs> Who will think of the chickens? <laughs> yes. Which really does bring us back to topic because who's thinking about the children? You know, <laughs> kind of I kind of feel that that works. So, so yeah. The what? What other long-term things can printified children have? Well, one of the things I see with kids who've gone through a lot in terms of trauma and parentification in childhood is that um, they really have to work hard in terms of their becoming parents in terms of being parents because they cannot like many parents who've had struggles as children they cannot draw upon their childhood experience in order to support their own kids um, because that didn't work and so you end up working hard to give your children the childhood you didn't have and in fact to give your children a childhood and that's wonderful and really important work and also very, very healing work. Um, but it does come at a bit of a cost. Um, for some of my parents, it brings up a lot of grief because of what they didn't have, mm -hmm. because it's clear what their kids have. Yeah. It's clear what the benefits are of a loving family, of committed parents, um, of children just getting to be kids. You know, and I think that that brings up two pieces for them, uh, the grief and loss, and also sometimes uh, resentment against their own parents, because without the resources themselves, right, without the resources of being able to draw upon their own childhood, they have figured out how to be good parents. They have loved their children, and they have worked at it, and they have done it, and looking at their parents there is a very clear question. Why couldn't you do the same? Well, and this we're getting into, we're often getting into questions of intergenerational trauma here because, yeah. you know, it's, it, this is a, this is something that we're, at least in my professional circles, we're starting to hear about more and more. Um, it's becoming more of a mainstream conversation uh, where the trauma doesn't, you know, trauma doesn't stop with one person. It has, re it has effects that, ha you know, happen down the line. And you're, you're talking about this, this grief and processing that comes along with recognition that I didn't necessarily have um, the typical, you know, the, the culturally typical experiences that my peers had. Subsequently, I don't have the culturally anchored memories that my peers have. And that, and I want to give them to my kids, but in some cases, I don't know how. Right. And that is a complicated, complicated thing to, to, to navigate because now the kids are going to see that. Um, now you're going to, now the kids are going to see that in their parents. Um, we, we talked a little bit about this in our episode on immigration. Like I, my, my yeah. dad was first generation in the country. And while I, while, you know, I didn't see the direct effects of immigration, I saw the reverbs on him and it had ramifications on me. Trauma has similar stuff down the line. Oh, sorry. Uh, Babylon Ranger in the chat said, uh, trauma has ripples. <laughs> <laughs> 
trauma yes. does have ripples. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And I think we have to take those ripples seriously, you know, because otherwise we might discount that experience and, and how, um, while it's amazing when your parents get through something that's really difficult for them, you know, um, but that doesn't mean that that hasn't taken a toll on them and mm -hmm. that that doesn't and hasn't and won't affect you. So this is where it's really important to pay attention to the effect of trauma in our own lives so that we can be the parents we want to be. Well, and what about the identity confusion? Because it it doesn't matter what culture you're brought up in. There are culturally anchored touchstones that, you know, we're we're supposed to we're we're, we're quote unquote supposed to have. Oh well, I can certainly give you an an example. Um, so, my um, my mother didn't have um, a lot of the rites of passage uh, met by her family. In other words, um, you know how it is when you graduate or graduate, you know, primary school, and there's usually a little event, and then you start secondary school, and then you have like um, a prom of some sort, right? And you have a grad ceremony, right? So my mom didn't have any of those, and neither did my aunt. Through Due to various reasons and family moving around internationally, it just didn't happen. Um, and also, neither of their weddings were attended. They were both sort of um, registry weddings and real quick things. And so the first thing I noticed was that, yeah, I didn't go to my own high school graduation. And um, when I got married, I wanted a wedding and my family had a very odd response to it. They were like, well, but you're 30, you're, you're kind of old. Why don't you just go ahead and get married? Why do you need to have a wedding? Huh? Yeah, I know. And I remember being kind of dumbfounded by this and going, no, we are having a wedding. Yeah which ended up being a lot of fun and quite wonderful. And they still talk about it to this day. And it was a good idea that I did that, <laughs> but it was really interesting, but yeah. it started, it sort of kickstarted something where family members came out to my graduation. They came out to my master's graduation. They came out for my 50th birthday. Yes, I'm old. And, you know, they were there for things that, that they hadn't considered celebrating themselves. And so this was a part of it. There was a real loss of those rites of passage because of their own experience where they were somewhat parentified in, in, their, in their families. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking about this stuff that, um, I'm also thinking about some of the stuff that you brought up a little bit ago, uh, Mitra. And again, I'm gonna talk about my own family situation in this as well. Um, in many respects, my father you know, being the son of Italian, very poor Italian immigrants, um, had a parentified role in, in the house. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of moments in my childhood where my dad was honestly kind of confused about what the typical experience was. And this is something I've heard from other adults who grew up as parentified children with their own children. They are, um, in some cases, confused on what are the culturally relevant and appropriate ways to raise a child? What are the boundaries that they never learned themselves? What are, um, yeah, it, it, there's just a lot of confusion having never been taught that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you throw in, of course, as you say, immigration, right? Or migration, and you end up having 
even more issues because what are the rites of passage that your children are growing up with that you didn't grow up with? What are the expectations of childhood within that, that this different cultural context? Oh, and right. then you throw in the fact that he had an autistic kid that we didn't, they didn't know. And oh, baby, yeah. that's a confusing situation. And that's a big deal, actually. You know, when you've got children who have some challenges, um, and especially if they're neurodivergent, and you really haven't necessarily grown up in a situation where you've been aware of that. I mean, generationally, it's different as well, but oh God, certainly across cultures, it's manual. different. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we catch these things? And how do we deal with them if a teacher points them out? Hey, your kid needs some extra help, right? And that's, you know, that's either not okay or, or not easy to understand. So... Oh, now I'm just picturing a choose your own adventure instruction manual for children. Oh, God. Yeah, autistic. Turn, turn to page 37. <laughs> I, do, I do want to read this out real quick because I, I enjoyed mm. this lurking writer in the chat said, 50 is not old unless you're an Aarakocra. There, there's your link to D&D for the stream. Now back to the discussion. Yes. <laughs> but no, the, the, the cleric fell down. That was, the, we started, the, the cleric has a dex of, Eight. That is the problem from the get-go. I felt I tripped while sitting in my chair. You all saw it. Let it be known. <laughs> I rolled a one at sitting. That's fair. Only I momentarily, but find sure. Out. Did you? What did you roll? Twenty. You rolled twenty. Hey, I rolled twenty. You're, you're, yeah, I get to stay in, in my chair. seat for the next twenty minutes. Okay. Uh, God, I hope I don't glad fall about now. that. Don't fall. That Speaking. would be a real. <laughs> that would be a betrayal of that nat 20 you just rolled <laughs> uh, speaking of the nice next 20 minutes I, uh, we do have a few questions uh, remember uh, chat you can put uh, questions in the chat in our awesome mod Martin will grab them and put them in this text doc uh, but is there any other things that you want to touch on about parentified children before we pass it over to them you know if you find yourself uh, if, if you find yourself falling into this category um for whatever reason, give yourself a break, have some compassion. Um, it's a complicated journey to, to come out of it. Um, this is, and hopefully you have a good mental health professional by your side throughout the course. Cause, oh, there's a, like Mitra brought up, there are a whole, whole series of complicated, conflicting emotions of relief and anger and sadness and loss and grief and hope it's this will yeah. oogie. Because we're talking about children, you said take a break. I was immediately like, yeah, grab a Capri Sun. Sit down on the couch. <laughs> recess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. recess. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Have some recess. Um, let's see. For chat, uh, Rivero wants his question. Is it known how much uh, how much more often a child becomes parentified in marginalized communities? That's an interesting question. Um, and I would suspect that uh, there is there can be more parentification in marginalized communities um, because often there might be more challenges, more resources, uh, fewer resources uh, to meet a child's needs, but both parents might be working. There might be greater expectations on children in terms of responsibilities within the home. I wanna stress though, that that doesn't necessarily lead to parentification. Um, you know, you can have more responsibilities, but is there enough emotional space held for you? Is there enough appreciation of you as a child and freedom to be a child at certain times, right? And that's the big one. Are you given too much information? 
Are there expectations placed on you that your friends in that same community don't have? Like those are questions to be looking at. And uh, that's something I know uh, that Mental Lamia answered directly in the chat a little bit ago and looks like just again, and um, Mental Lamia is one of the people I would actually go to for one of those, one of the, one of those questions, Mitra and Mental Lamia are two folks on my list. So I, I'm going to just refer to their answer in the chat because it's probably pretty solid. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I will, I'll read that one out because, you know, for audio listeners, uh, Ms. Lamia says, uh, Black and, uh, uh, and Latin uh, experiences, uh, experience higher levels of parentification than white people in the United States. This is directly related to systematic oppression and economic disadvantage. 100%. And we see this with... Um, marginalized communities and communities of color, definitely. Yep. Yeah, in Canada as well. Thank you. Um, this is from uh, Chamber X77. Uh, I assume there is to be a hopefully obvious line that has to be crossed before it becomes parentification. You know, I love that question for anything in psychology because my answer is always two words, two words. What are the two words in chat? What are, what are the two words? It depends. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one of the, you know, often what people experience is this lack of boundaries or very mushy boundaries. Um, and so, you know, yes, there are obvious lines if somebody says, you know, uh, dad's having an affair with his secretary. Sorry, we've really crossed the line there and it's pretty clear. But there are there's a lot of mushiness around a kid sort of starting to get too much responsibility and sorry you can't go to art class by the way and I need you to do this without any clear boundaries about when is it's happening you know um, it's very different if it's like grandma was going to come sit your younger brother so you could go to art class and unfortunately she can't make it today so you're going to miss art class this week but I'll make sure I have things in place for next week is not parentification, right? Because life happens. But if too consistently a kid's needs are being shunted aside because of parents um, who are um, in chaos or not able to manage supports for their kids and they're starting to now ask for much more. So I need you to take care of your little brother because I can't be there. So now it's your job today is, is not great. Right. And if it's your job next week and it suddenly becomes your job over time, that's that's parentification. You're having to take too much responsibility and you're not getting to be a kid. You know, Mitra Mitra's made a couple of uh, amazing points during the show and also really overtly during our pre-production meeting that it's not an all or nothing concept. It's not like a line you cross and you can never go back. Um, it, structure of support is important because, I mean, are we talking like a temporary you're helping around the house while um, both parents are working overtime for a couple months or you and then they recognize that and you're also helping out in developmentally appropriate ways or are you talking about um are, are you talking about you know being mom or dad's confidant for years while yeah. they are overtly telling you to discipline your younger siblings and also manage the budget. Those are very, very different circumstances. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well said. 
Um, let's see. Um, uh, Simon's one three five seven nine. Did you ever do a show on intergenerational trauma? I would like to see that one. Um, yeah, we did do that one. I think we did. Yeah. I mean, I sort of. Was, was it in season one or two? I think it was fairly yeah. early on. I, I actually think that one might have been recent. Um, we do have uh, our videos up on YouTube on the uh, Codename Entertainment uh, YouTube channel, so you can uh, find those there. Uh, and if you've been there, if you haven't been there recently and you're upset because they were all named the same thing, that has been fixed by our awesome, awesome friend Mars, who went through and <laughs> recategorized and updated everything. Um, Yay. So, Could uh, we, hmm? could, I, I've got a question. Could we incorporate, the, I saw this in the chat, could we incorporate It Depends as our slogan <laughs> underneath the Champions of Psychology logo. I uh, really love that idea. Or maybe may, maybe we do it in Latin, like Dependante or something like that. I don't, yeah. I, I was raised Catholic. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> I can, That's why I only got half the guilt. I can talk to our amazing wizard of a graphic designer, Maddie, and see if they if they can do that. Uh. That would be that would be good because it really is so context dependent yeah. or Context changes everything. Might be another. And it depends. <laughs> emote suggests Chamber X seven seven. That that would be a really good emote. Yeah, that would be good. Take, take Ooh, this. Might yeah. think about that one. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Uh, I'll talk to I'll talk to our community director. Yeah. But but also we do uh, like I said at the beginning of the show we do have a podcast feed as well so if you go to any of your podcast uh, channels and look up Champion Psychology uh, you can find. Uh, all of our episodes up on there <laughs> um let's see here uh I, I think we're gonna round out this one uh with, with a slightly off topic one but i still think it's a nice check-in the lurking writer says question how are y'all doing this week hope you're well i've been having a lingering bout of not covid as has everyone in my family um it involves sort of cough and cold symptoms um and general malaise and tiredness my mood is good but I'm really sick of this. <laughs> You're sick of being sick. I am. And we've all done the COVID tests over and over and they're negative. So like, it's clearly, it's not COVID. That's what mm -hmm. I'm calling it. So if you find yourself experiencing not COVID, there is absolutely something going around. Um, it also involves stomach aches sometimes. It's very nebulous and hard to contain. It doesn't have good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dr. B? Uh, Rat with Wings called me out. I have my emotional support, support espresso. I have my comfort tiara. Uh, uh, adulting sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Adulting yeah. sucks. You know, no, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it's uh, just to talk and normalize it. Um, I'm actually in the process of, of looking for, a, a, I, I have a therapist, but I'm looking for a psychiatrist. And mm. It sucks, even if you know what you're doing, um, even if you're within the system and um, because also, you know what to not look for. And for me to find a psychiatrist who is competent at working in an autism affirming manner is a significant challenge yeah. um, because, you know, quite frankly, most of us in the mental health field were taught a lot of bad lessons about autism that we have to, we have to unlearn. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would really like to not pay them to teach them. It's <laughs> fair. So that's why I have my comfort espresso and my comfort tiara. Well, I'm glad you have both of those things because the, that is a definitely sounds like you need a moment. 
Mm. No, I'm, it's okay. It's just, it's just work. It's inconvenient. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, hopefully that normalizes things for a lot of other folks that do it, it sucks looking mm -hmm. for a mental health professional right now. doesn't matter who yeah. you are, even if you're a doctor, psychology, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, it just sucks right now. Yeah. Yes, it does. It's hard to find someone good. It's also really difficult if you're looking within the system here, the wait lists for psychiatrists, even if you're a youth, um, are really appalling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I uh, as as for me, I uh, had a long weekend of self care because it started off with my back hurting so bad that I nearly threw up several times. Uh, <laughs> but I got to watch all of the new Stranger Things seasons, so that was great. Um, and uh, and yeah, just trying to catch up on everything and trying to have a good week. So thank you for asking, Lurking Writer. Thank you for Shorzy. Asking. Watch Shorzy. <laughs> <laughs> that is, we heard a lot about that before the show. So you all also must watch, watch Shorzy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's where we're gonna have to start wrapping things up because we've got a show coming up right afterwards. Friends, where can people find you? And uh, if they'd like to do so on the internet. So. I can be found at mitrajordan.com and I can be found at Mitra Jordan on Twitter. And those are pretty much the two places you can find me, unlike my esteemed colleague, who is... Oh, I may be found on Cooking with Psychology. Please I need do that a show. Take This Cooking Show. I, I, think I, we need, yeah. I have suggestions of people to be on. Oh my God. That would, that would be amazing. Just, it's just, it's a cooking show of just cook your comfort food. Like oh just my cook, God. Yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. Cook we, do, your we should do that. Comfort with comfort I'm cooking in. with Dr. B. I, yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Oh no, that's great. Um, but you can find me on all the social medias at the Dr. B that's T H E E D O C T O R B as in boy, but it's more important that you follow take this org for all keeping up to date on all the cool mental health stuff we are doing, including today being the last day to nominate your favorite mental health themed game of 2020 and 2021 for the Dr. Mark award of 2022. It's going to be, I, I have some great, favorites that came out in the last two years i hope you do too <laughs> uh yeah you can uh find me uh on twitter at the trevor there's an a hiding in there you can also find me anywhere the idol champions community is because i'm the community manager and that's where i'll be mm -hmm. uh <laughs> uh yeah so let's see uh we've got uh bardic inspiration coming up immediately after this with a special guest mark mir uh, so, uh, yeah! definitely, uh, stick around for that and help, uh, Mark's so cool. Mark's so cool. He is really so cool. cool. Uh, suggest, uh, lyrics and, uh, help them write a song. Uh, I believe, uh, even though I don't have the Twitch schedule up on all of the usual platforms, again, it was a day off and I've been in meetings all morning, so I apologize. Uh, I, I think we have a, a pretty normal week of streaming. Uh, so, uh, stay tuned and, uh, hope you enjoy it, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Oh. Thank you, Martin, for moderating and chat. Doing an awesome you, job. Martin. I remember to do it. Thank you to Codename and Take This for letting us have these conversations. That yeah. is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next week, take care of yourself. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. 
We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. <laughs>